Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What we do know is that there is a virulent inflation that had its origins in the Federal Reserve that has now decided that it will do its all at whatever cost to make it go away. That's what we think we see. But, you know, it might be too late. Jim Grant is next on Consuelo Mack Wealth Track. Funding provided by ClearBridge Investments, First Eagle Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, Strategus Asset Management, and Women Investing in Security and Education. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. How times have changed. It wasn't many months ago that the entire financial world was singing the praises of inflation. The greatest fear among Wall Streeters and other financial lights was lower prices that might actually decline more and turn into that monster known as deflation. The thought conjured up nightmarish scenes of bread lines and bank runs. Ever since the global financial crisis of 2008, and especially since the COVID pandemic, central banks and governments around the world have pulled out all stops to prevent such an occurrence. And guess what? It finally worked. After declining since the early 1980s, inflation has roared back to life, recently hitting 40-year highs. But no one is celebrating. In fact, now central banks around the world have declared war on inflation, and Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is leading the charge. The Fed has dramatically raised the federal funds rate several times this year, with more action to come. This week's guest has long been an avowed enemy of inflation and outspoken critic of the Fed's inflation-boosting policies. Well, how is he feeling now? He is financial thought leader James Grant, the founder and editor of Grant's Interest Rate Observer, a twice-monthly journal he launched in 1983. It's about a multitude of interest rate-related policies and investments with a thought-provoking recommendation or two in each issue. Grants is considered a must-read by professional investors at leading hedge funds, private equity, and investment firms. Grant is also the author of nine books. Several are financial histories, including the prize-winning The Forgotten Depression, 1921, The Crash That Cured Itself. I asked Grant how he is feeling about the Fed now that it has finally decided to fight inflation. The Fed uh, has been uh, deprecating inflation, minimizing the chances of it, and actually rooting it on for years. Uh, it's coming to terms with it is very belated, and the Fed uh, has, uh, has shown a very small tolerance for macroeconomic pain. So count me still a skeptic about the Fed's commitment to this project. When you say that it is, uh, you know, showed a very little tolerance for economic pain, what are you referring to? Are you referring to the Jerome Powell Fed or? Well, the Jerome Powell Fed spent uh, some some couple of years um, on a listening tour. Uh, it went from city to city, uh, cocking its ear to the general public, and what it heard was what it wanted to hear. 
And what it wanted to hear was that uh, lower employment was not only desirable, but also equitable. And um, uh, to advance this uh, program of uh, equity and full employment, even fuller than full, uh, the Fed uh, kind of arranged its priorities and announced that it would, uh, uh, well, that, uh, gradually and by degree, it announced it would no longer pay much attention to the monetary aggregates. It would no longer uh, start in fear uh, when employment uh, rose to a very high level. Unemployment fell to a very low level. And it would, it's fine. So we're, we're in a kind of a new age, said the mm -hmm. Fed. And, uh, you know, bring it on. Bring on prosperity. This was before the pandemic. Right. And comes the pandemic, and it doubles down on these things. And, uh, my goodness, it uh, throws the kitchen sink and then half of the garage um, at this problem and uh, gives speeches, does the Fed, uh, that uh, uh, there is nothing to fear except a very deep recession. So here we are. So um, what I say is the Fed demonstrated through uh, its actions and its professions slow these many years that it has no better idea of the economic future than I do. <laughs> but, I mean, the future to me is a closed book and one can observe the present, one can uh, handicap Oz, one can bring to bear a certain knowledge of history and uh, kind of an intuitive judgment, but there is there ain't, I should speak, there ain't no such thing as macroeconomic science. But there is something called macroeconomic pseudoscience, and at that, the Fed is a past master. The inflation that we're living with today, is it largely a construct of the Fed behavior you just described? Well, the Fed, I think this inflation could not have happened except for the policies of the central banks. Okay. Um, it's necessary, not entirely sufficient, uh, what has exacerbated the problem of uh, astoundingly high monetary growth and uh, liquidity provision? What has exacerbated that has have been well known has been the well known litany of uh, problems with supply chain, the, the uh, fiscal blowout, and the constraints uh, that attended the pandemic. But you know, as to as to fiscal policy, the chairman of the Fed himself gave a couple of talks in 2020, just urging on uh, the opening up of the fiscal uh, pipelines and mm -hmm. flooding the country with uh, stimulus, stimuli of all kinds. So the Fed was 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 at it, both in a monetary and a fiscal sense. It was it was flogging this horse in both ways. So uh, yeah, the Fed was an integral part of what we can face today. In uh, Jerome Powell's recent uh, speech at Jackson Hole, he basically said that the Fed is responsible for inflation and that it can control inflation and that he's going to do everything in his power to make sure that they do bring inflation back down to their targeted 2% rate. Does the Fed have that kind of power, do you think? It does, yes. Uh, imagine if the Fed uh, lifted its federal funds rate, its policy interest rate, 15 percent. That would wreak havoc with an economy that has been conditioned to draw, to to, uh, to to work on interest rates uh, almost zero. Uh, cost of capital has been negligible for more than a decade. 
so a shock of that magnitude would 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 uh, kneecap inflation and 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 many other living things. Right. Yeah, the Fed does have that power. Sure. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has referred to Volcker on several occasions in recent speeches. Uh, do you think that that he's got the you know resolve to be a Paul Volcker? Two back-to-back recessions. Well, the Fed funds rate under Volcker went to twenty percent. It was doubled under Volcker's tenure, and uh, I think unemployment went up to nearly eleven percent. The Taylor Rule, which is this uh, old rule of thumb about how you set the federal funds rate at a time of the Taylor Rule prescribed a funds rate of ten percent uh, last year. That the Federal Reserve was conducting aggressive open market operations, so-called quantitative easing, to add liquidity as right. recently as March of this year, when the when the inflation rate was raging. So, is the Fed now going to be uh, this? Uh, Let's make a last stand at, uh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, well, you know, we'll see. It's early. I'm doubtful. I'm doubtful. Given where we are with inflation at the levels it's at, what is it going to take to break the back of inflation? William McChesney Martin, uh, one of the, uh, the true oratorical opponents of inflation, got to gave great speeches against inflation in the early days of the inflation, which had its beginnings in the mid-1960s early days, uh, William McChesney Martin says to his confrere at the Federal Open Market Committee, quote, the horse of inflation is out of the barn, and the best we can hope is to make sure it doesn't gallop away too far and too fast. It was when people really didn't think there was an inflation. So that, that shows you the risk of how fast attitudes can change. Now, the Fed is a fine one for talking about expectations. And uh, in the before times, like 19, 2020 and 21, it would say uh, in a somewhat uh, vain way, you know, inflation expectations are anchored at 2%. And what did that mean? They couldn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't know they're not anchored now. So I, again, I, I, I don't mean to be dogmatic about this. In fact, I, I, I think I sound dogmatic. But, but, but we can't know. What we do know is that there is a virulent inflation that had its origins in the Federal Reserve that has now decided that it will do its all at whatever cost to make it go away. That's what we think we see. Um, But, you know, it might be too late. That's one possibility. From an investment point of view, this is a another era, right? It is. And uh, what is especially New and um, and and significant is is uh, is something that is still hypothetical, and that hypothetical something would be the start of a bear market in bonds. And what is an unusual characteristic about bonds as an asset class is that their bull markets and bear markets have tended to trend over the course of decades, mm-hmm. not just for you know a couple of years or uh, ten years, but but uh, you go back to the middle and late 19th century, these cycles have run for a generation or more. And the latest cycle, that of falling interest rates, lasted from 1981. And some say it's still intact today. I say perhaps mm-hmm. or probably when I'm really feeling confident about things, I'll say it has turned. And to be sure, I said it has turned before it did. Yes, <laughs> but you and many others as well. 
right. have said that. Um, but, but it was a, it's so, been a forty year it was a forty year bull market in right. bonds, right? That right. started and, in and early eighties. Yeah, if that has changed, it's a very mm-hmm. big change because you know rising interest rates are um, kind of the uh, uh, the kryptonite of financial assets. Depending on the rate of rise, you know, we don't know yet. We don't know many things. We don't know among other things what the tempo of the rise in rates is likely to be. Mm-hmm. You know, for the, in the, the in the uh, when rates rose from 1946 to 1981, it took them 10 years to rise one percentage point. So, you know, history is, is helpful, but it's not going to make you necessarily rich. <laughs> uh, but what we, what we can say is that rising rates, interest rates are, are, are generally not helpful uh, for financial assets. They are helpful for many other things, for writing the, uh, an economy that has perhaps become lopsided in a speculative way. Uh, for restoring a measure of justice to the savers of America who have been starving to death at their banks, which pay them like one basis point a year before tax. So uh, rising interest rates are good for some things, but not good for others. Does stagflation ring a bell with you as far as what we might be entering? Do you have any sense? So that's higher than desirable inflation and slower than desirable growth? If you look at the GDP data and take them on their face, we have had two consecutive quarters of essentially no growth. Uh, You can't take uh, uh, measurements in these things to the right of the decimal point seriously, but to say it's been flat for two quarters, well, that's not good. Uh, Inflation of 8% or so is not good. So that's stagflation. We we have it. Right. We have it. Uh, the, the bad case of it is a, a case of a contracting economy, a seriously contracting economy, and we have seen that as well. In the, in the, for example, in 74, when the stock market made its last really cosmic uh, value-laden low, the value mm-hmm. tribe looks back with, with the greatest nostalgia at the lows oh. of 1974. God, these companies were cheap. Oh, you could buy them for less than net cash. You know. <laughs> But to live through that period, Jim, was no picnic. It was horrible. Uh, Absolutely well, depend, Depending on how one was positioned, it was right. only bad. It was, it was just bad or, or insufferable. <laughs> From, you know, an investor point of view, you know, what does well in a stagflationary environment? And I, and I know you've been writing in grants, you have had many recommendations about Investments for inflationary environments. You know, it's 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 hard. You know, I, I um I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. What has been lacking in professional money management, low these many years, has been a rigorous attention to price and value, and an uncompromising attention to price and value. And there are a couple of people who run a very small, less than two hundred million dollars in uh, net asset value mutual fund called Palm Valley, as in palm tree, Palm Valley. Eric Sidamond. You wrote about it in Grants. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, um, and they're very witty people. They're annual. You should read their quarterly letters for the sheer pleasure of and the instruction of those letters. But, but they won't buy a position unless, in their view, it is ab- not relatively, but absolutely cheap. And they hold very few stocks and much cash. But to me, again, whether the viewers of WealthTrack choose to invest or not, to read what they say is a great investment education. Price and value are coming back, as I think. Value is coming back as a, as a commanding, as a commanding f- a factor in success in investing. It has not been for many years 
what you wanted to be was as reckless as <laughs> right. No, it paid to be reckless because you could borrow money yeah. for like zero percent. But um, and all the speculative investments did really well. But that is a familiar refrain too. Uh, many times wrong that value is coming back. Yeah, value has been a dog. Uh, for a long time, but I, I kind of like the setup. I like when people abandon ideas that they're so commonsensical as value investing. Um, it, it it comforts me that I like to I like to be in the in the minority of a good idea rather than the majority of a successful bad idea. You know, because that <laughs> success is is foredoomed. But in an environment like today, why is value going to count? Why is value going to finally kind of have its day? Well, you, you go back to the precepts of the strategy and the, precept, well, the principal precept is to, uh, is to allow yourself a margin of safety in the face of, uh, of trouble. And if you pay a price that is not aggressive, if you pay a price that uh, is, uh, is undemanding with respect to book value, and with respect to earning power, uh, there is uh, less to lose and there's more to gain mm -hmm. uh, when things turn back up. So I, I always think when people say, um, um, I don't like value, I think, well, you know what's, <laughs> you, like, you like the opposite of that? You like to overpay? Is that the, is that the thing? One of the other investments that you've written about, and, and you know, you've been accused over the years of being a bear, which you have disputed, and we're giving some examples uh, to our audience of, no, Jim is not always a bear. So another buy recommendation that you have made uh, has to do with energy. And, and the, the, the title of that edition was He Smells Gas. A company called uh, Tourmaline. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, the, I think it's TOU is the ticker as it trades in, uh, in Toronto. It's, this is a, a Canadian gas company that... Uh, has vast acreage, has at its head a guy named Michael Rose, who is a very, very successful Canadian gas and energy entrepreneur. And uh, they stand to be the beneficiaries of a prospective narrowing of the gap between the prices that uh, natural gas commands overseas, not only in Europe, but also in Asia, on the one hand, and the price it gets and fetches in North America. So uh, they have a, a very good balance sheet. What gets a lot of these commodity producers in trouble is mixing the volatility of the commodity price with a leveraged balance sheet. You don't want to mix debt and uh, commodity exposure. And Michael Rose and his people understand that, and they have kept a very, very strong balance sheet. So it's a, it's a, I think it's a solid investment in, um, in an industry that offers many speculations. What is your advice to investors as we are in the midst of this really treacherous period for, uh, you know, stocks and bonds. I think it's important to, to consider that the seemingly uh, far-fetched possibility that the world has been stood on its head and that what was true is no longer so true and what was helpful is now positively a problem. And this would describe a world in which interest rates rose, price earnings ratios contracted, profit margins contracted, and uh, bonds, instead of providing protection in a portfolio, contributed to the difficulties 
of a portfolio in an equity bear market. That's the possibility that is before us. Now, uh, you very kindly mentioned before, because that I wasn't not always bearish, but I am temperamentally bearish. I'm a temperamental skeptic. I'm a yes, but guy who happens to have lived in a gee whiz world. <laughs> so um, I plead guilty to all those, uh, those uh, intellectual and, uh, and, and personal traits. Um, but nothing says that, uh, that the era of falling rates and rising stock prices and expanding multiples and ease of acquisition of millions that this particular era is forever. It would be, uh, it would be unusual if it were forever. Mm -hmm. What do you need most? Well, you need, you need flexibility, you need liquidity. Now, it's, it's a kind of a paradox because just in the past two years, a dollar bill has lost 13 cents of its purchasing power. July 2020 to July 2020, just 13%. You never get that money back again. No, no, this is because of inflation. You're talking about inflation, right? So for an American, it's, it's, it, is, uh, it is a problem. And you never get back that back. The Fed's going to see to it. We don't have you know, deflation, real deflation. Right. So it's a paradox to say that one ought to hold cash. But I think one must. See, what you want, I say, is flexibility in the face of uncertainty and risk and possible adversity, you know, protracted adversity. What you want is the flexibility to avail yourself of the gifts of a bear market, not just the pain. And the gift of a bear market is value. The gift of a bear mm -hmm. market is, is great companies, as they say, I hate that phrase, I have to trite for great. There are outstanding companies uh, that are priced for their excellence now, and, no, and more so. But you know what happens in a bear market is that everything goes down, and with cash, which to be sure you're losing some of the uh, scourge of inflation, but with cash you get a chance to, uh, to be tactical and to, and to keep your courage up, right? You, you, can, you can watch things right. take shape in a way that will be advantageous to the person who can avail himself or herself of the, of the gift of value. What's your advice to Jerome Powell? Don't be so sure. And don't be so sure about what in particular? It is not yet recognized the humility that is the essence of its impossible job. It has, in its, in its arrogance, it has embraced the impossibility of becoming a monetary central planner. You can't do that. No one can do that. So, Jim, what sh should it be doing then? What the Fed ought to be doing, it seems to me, is giving a speech saying that we want the most important price in capitalism to be... Interest rates. To be right. interest rates to be determined in the marketplace and not imposed from on high. We are out of the business of suppressing the rate of interest. We are out of the business at manipulating asset values as Ben Bernanke did explicitly in 2009 and 10 and onward. We are the stewards of a dollar that keeps its value and we want the marketplace to do its thing. One investment for a long-term diversified portfolio. You have said gold many times in the past. Well, consistency is the hobgoblin of great minds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, going to all, I'm just for the sake for the sake of variety. I'm going to say, Consuelo, that, that cash is an essential part of every 
a well-tempered portfolio, gold being an important uh, element of cash. Gold, gold is, you know, they used to call in, in the day when there was a gold standard, uh, people would say, use the word cash referring to gold, gold was cash. So it doesn't have to be gold today, but I think, I think cash for financial flexibility and for the opportunity to, uh, to, to avail oneself of what Mr. Market occasionally gives and what he occasionally gives in his moments of, um, of panic is the great gift of value, a very rare thing in these days of persistently elevated prices and multiples. So be ready, world, be ready when, when the gift comes your way. <laughs> Jim Grant, lovely to have you on Wealth Truck again. Thanks so much. Oh, what a pleasure, Consuelo. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is incorporate some inflation hedging investments into your portfolio. We recently recommended U.S. Treasury I-bonds. They are inflation-protected U.S. savings bonds, which recently offered a lip-smacking 9.62% yield exempt from state and local taxes. The yield adjusts to inflation every six months, and these bonds have quirks but they are worth looking into at treasurydirect.gov. Then there are TIPS, or Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, another inflation-adjusting treasury with fewer restrictions and currently less attractive yields. If you are into much more speculative alternatives, Jim Grant has written about the actively managed Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiaries ETF, symbol INFL, It was only launched in 2021, so it is a very short track record, but it is done very well. Fears of sticky inflation might come true, so it's worth having some inflation-fighting securities in your portfolio. Next week, noted global value investor Tom Russo explains Warren Buffett's enduring influence on his successful investment approach. In this week's extra feature, Jim Grant gives us a preview of his newest book project, Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.